0: ever feel like you're lacking connection and belonging in your life? That your friendships and social circles aren't what they used to be or what you wish they could be? Well, you're not alone. Especially after the social isolation of the past few years, many of us are feeling disconnected and craving more community. My guest today is an expert on building social connections. She'll walk us through why community matters for our health and well-being, the different roles people play within our social circles, and tangible tips for strengthening or rebuilding your personal village. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, this episode will leave you feeling empowered, understood, and equipped to foster meaningful relationships. Get ready to learn the key ingredients for joy, purpose, support, and belonging. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so that you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Florence Ann Romano is here, and she's going to give us some actionable tips on how to stay socially engaged for optimal health as we age. If you are someone who is being affected by the ongoing loneliness epidemic, stay tuned. This show is going to get you re-engaged and plugged into the power of community. My guest today is Florence Ann Romano. Florence Ann is a personal growth strategist, an author, a philanthropist, and a businesswoman with a sparkling personality. After spending more than 15 years as a child care provider, Florence Ann, formerly known as the Windy City Nanny, is the authority on village support in this new millennium. She wants to show people that not only is the saying, it takes a village true, but also how important the need for community is. Her latest book is titled Build Your Village, a guide to finding joy and community in every stage of life. Florence Ann has been featured on over 500 national and local media outlets across the country, including ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, Home and Family, The Jenny McCarthy Show, Sirius XM, and much more. I started our conversation today by asking Florence Ann how she got interested in the subject of community building.
1: Oh gosh. Well, I think it goes back to my days as a nanny. I was a nanny for over 15 years. I loved it. It was a great time in my life. And when you're a nanny, honestly, you get to see a lot of things in a family. You know, you get to notice the, the dynamics. And I was paying a lot of attention too to only the parenting, but how, how these families communicated, how they interacted. And I've always been kind of a naturally curious person, I think, about connection. And that was really my first kind of tiptoe into it. And so I did that for over 15 years as a nanny, wrote a children's book, then started a digital content business and had that for many years. And then COVID hit. And I thought to myself, gosh, I hear people all the time moaning this idea of it takes a village, it takes a village. And where is the village? Is there a phone number to call? Do the people just show up at your front door? You know, what happens here? And I thought to myself, okay, if it takes a village to raise a child, it's a great proverb. I believe in it. It's true. But what about people that don't have kids? Does that mean they don't deserve to find their people? Does that mean they don't deserve a community too? And of course, the answer is everyone deserves a community. Everyone deserves to find their people. So during COVID, I wrote the book, Build Your Village, a guide to finding joy and community in every stage of life. And I created six archetypes that you identify with. Who am I of these six people uh, in other people's villages? And who do I need of these six people in mine?
0: All right, fantastic. And we're going to dive into all of that. I, I absolutely love that. But before we get there, let's back up and just kind of set some ground rules here. So you say, hey, I, you know, I, I was this caregiver. I was this nanny. Right. And then Hi. moving through COVID, a lot of us experienced different types of isolation. Right. Now we're in this post-COVID environment. I want to talk a little bit about that. But let's back all the way up. When you say community, what what are we talking about there? I think most of us have a, a sense of what you mean. But when you say community, what is that and why do we need it? Why is it important?
1: Well, it's important because I think right now, more than ever, we're seeing the ripple effects of loneliness. So we're in a loneliness epidemic. People are talking about that quite a bit. We're talking about mental health, the crisis of mental health today in the country. And as as we look at what happened post-COVID, uh, I think we can all isolate that we had our communities ripped away from us. We had our support systems com- ripped away from us. So whether that is your family, your friends, your nannies, your caretakers, your daycare providers, the people you depended on on a daily basis, even your even the work friends that you had, this is your community. These are your people. And as that was ripped away from us and that loneliness set in and we figured out what it felt like to really be on our own. That was a sobering thought. But then as we started kind of tiptoeing back into connection, what I found is that people not only didn't really know how to connect again, they didn't really want to connect again. And that was the larger issue. And that's also one of the, one of the variables that, that made me write my book. But the idea that connecting again, came with a lot of fear, came with anxiety. That said a lot about what is actually going on in our lives regarding how we connect with one another. So your village, your community, are the people that you depend on in some sort of way. I would say, and that's a very generic definition of it. And we'll go into deeper context about that. But just think about the people that you interact with on a
0: daily or weekly basis. Okay, that and that. Thank you for that. That makes sense. Sure. Certainly, it, you had mentioned that coming out of just this in this post pandemic world, we've a lot of us are our social circles were certainly. Shaken up, and you had mentioned there that there's almost this hesitancy or this fear or anxiety about reconnecting or recreating these, right. this this community. Why do you think that is?
1: I think yoga pants and Netflix is a lot more fun for some people. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. you know, instead of having to go out there and you know, have a cup of coffee with someone and you got to talk, and I have to you know make conversation and put an effort in. Not always everyone's cup of tea, but not even just that. It's it's the effort behind it that seems to be difficult for people because you get used to a certain way. You get used to having the excuse. And then when it comes time for you to actually get back out there and and have a life that you used to have, people who are maybe not necessarily the most talkative or or uh, effervescent people who may be people who tend to be a little more shy and a little bit more of a wallflower when you are able to kind of go into that cocoon coaxing you out of it is mm-hmm. going to be that much more difficult and we didn't you don't just see that with adults i mean we saw that at the school level too children really suffered you know children who struggled with making friends and being social in school when it came time for them to have to do that again the the fear of that and the anxiety of that could sometimes be very paralyzing so that's a common denominator between adults and children.
0: Yeah. So as you, as you're saying that, I'm thinking back to my own personal experience. So pre-COVID, I was I had recently retired from my corporate job, but I was a I was a technology salesperson. So I spent a lot of time traveling. I spent a lot of time entertaining and I was constantly around people. COVID hit, of course, there was no travel. For the first time ever, I was home all the time. And I'm actually Although I made my you know made my living as an adult as a salesperson, I'm actually a pretty introverted person. And at first, I absolutely loved it. It's like holy moly! This it took a little. It was a little weird getting used to being at home all the time. But after a while, this is great. And to your point, coming out of that, I don't know that because now I do this full time. Right? I'm I'm a coach and I'm an online coach. So I spend my time working from home. My kids are out of the house and by myself a lot and so I find that as a natural introvert there's some effort necessary on my part to get out and to make those new connections right because my community to your point would have been my my clients my because yes my certainly my clients were sure. of my community oddly enough as that may sound but my work life my work friends and just all of that's completely shifted and now navigating in this new world is a little bit different. I suppose we could say it is, is it more challenging for us introverts than it is for extroverts? It seems to me that would be natural. Can you talk a little bit about introversion and extroversion?
1: Yeah, I I think that introverts and extroverts are going to get filled up energetically from different things. And I always talk about the quality versus quantity. It's not that, you know, you need to run out and have 100 friends and that's going to make you happy. Some of the loneliest people I know are the busiest. Mm. So it's not it's not about whether or not that introvert needs to be surrounded by a lot of people and they like going to parties. They like being in a crowd. They like to be the center of attention. They like to be the entertainer. And it gives introverts a bad rap, I think, sometimes when you say that they don't want to put themselves in that situation. It doesn't mean that that person is not engaging. It doesn't mean that person doesn't want to connect. It just means that the way that that person is filled up and satiated is maybe not by crowds and globs of people. And even someone like myself, who tends to be a bit of an extrovert, and I think like you as well, just from our conversation just now, it doesn't mean that we also don't want to reset you were saying you know during covid you know they're like gosh this is great you know i don't have to talk anymore to everybody all the time and i'm not depleted from that and yeah that reset is important i think that teaches us that you can't just keep going and going and going without having that balance and i think a lot of us uh can get caught up in that rat race and we never yeah. we don't take that time but the introvert versus extrovert i think really it's more a conversation about what is it that brings you joy? What is it that fills you up? What is it that is going to energize you? And not having to categorize that in terms of, or qualify that rather in terms of quantity. Because I think that's where we get into trouble. And I think that's where people in terms of community building, village building, also get into trouble thinking that if it's not X amount, then I am not doing it correctly.
0: Hmm, interesting. Okay, no, I can totally totally relate to that. I I look at my wife and I, right? We're kind of polar opposites. She's very much an extrovert and it seems like she gets recharged when she's in front of a bunch of people and socializing. Right. And right. while I enjoy that, I enjoy it in smaller amounts. That's not that's draining my batteries, not filling. It seems like that that actually fills her batteries. She she's right. moving, you know, she's right. getting she's pulling energy from that crowd. I'm giving energy and then I kind of need that I need some time to to yeah. Recharge my battery. So that's that's an interesting take there. Now, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You had talked about families and then communities. What's the difference? Because you had mentioned, hey, if it, you know, it takes a village, well, if I don't have any kids, do I not have a village? What's the difference between community and family? And what kind of distinctions do we make there?
1: Well, one of the reasons I, I really wanted to write the book was because, you know, I was born into a multi-generational home, old school Italian family. My first best friends were my cousins. or we sleepovers every weekend. My grandparents lived with us. It was it was fantastic. It was loud and and beautiful and all those things. But as I grew up, I realized that not every single person, most people actually weren't born into exactly what I was born into. Their families looked different. And we aren't in a world anymore today where you know that village concept is very present where we do have people helping one another raise their children and even though i grew up in that as i looked around and saw that other people their lives looked differently it made me think about okay if you're not born into it you're not born into this village that is secure that is loving that is kind that are all these things that you need then does that mean that you don't deserve to find it in your life at all? And so part of what I wanna do is empower people to understand that no matter what you were born into, no matter your your socioeconomics or your family or your environment, you can decide at a certain point what you want your life to be and what you want your village and community to look like and empower people to know that everyone has that right to have that for themselves, but it sometimes comes a little bit harder to certain people than others, depending on the challenges or obstacles they have in their way with it.
0: Okay. I I love that. Absolutely love that. It's a great distinction. I I also come from a large family and there certainly is community there. I'm very well aware that not everybody has that honor and privilege. Right. So you talk about, you talk about the everybody has a right to community. I think I've seen, it was either in your book or or maybe I I read it somewhere on your website or something, but you talk about Mm -hmm. social health. You know, we talk on this show all the time about, say, maybe emotional health or mental health, or certainly we talk a lot about physical health and biological health. Talk to us a little bit about what you mean by social health and where the power of community fits in there.
1: Well, there are so many statistics right now surrounding how loneliness actually affects us physically. And one thing that was jarring to me when I started doing my research is that loneliness can be as deadly as smoking. Loneliness can actually lead to a higher risk of dementia. And so this is, this is a direct result on our physical health and our mental health and our physical health. These things, and you know from your line of work, are directly aligned. Uh, and so we can't just put these in separate bu- buckets and think that there's no overlap. And 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 so when I talk about the the social health and our physical health and our mental health, all of that, we have to look for where the common denominators are. And we also have to kind of trace it kind of like a doctor would in terms of diagnosis. What is going on in your life right now that is leading you to feel this way? whether it's physically or emotionally, whatever it might be, we have to diagnose the issue. And an example I'll give, a friend of mine not too long ago had relocated with her family to a different state, left her big family, all of her friends, and it was a very difficult move for her. We were talking one day and she was saying, I'm just so lonely. I just, I can't believe, you know, I left everything that was secure and everything that I'd worked so hard to build for all those years. And now here I am starting over and I don't know how to start over. And so we started talking about different ideas. And I was saying, you know, when you go with the kids to the playground, walk up to one of the other mothers that you see and start a conversation. At the end of that conversation, see if you can exchange information, make that move. And she's like, ah, I don't, it's because it's weird. How will they think? You know, is it creepy? You know, all of that sort of thing. And I was like, see, here it is. I understand. Let's talk through those questions that you have. I said, but. The thing is, if you want something to change, honey, you're going to have to make the effort to change it. It's not just going to happen. And so that's that's an overarching theme about what we're talking about here, too, and what I'm talking about in my book, is I always say, I can give you the directions. Hopefully, this book is the directions. They are the directions to the village. It's a phone number to call in some sort of way. But I can't get you into the into the car and make you drive there. You have to do that for yourself. So that's also part of solving this marriage of the physical and mental and emotional health.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love all of that. And as I was going through your book, that a few things jumped out to me. One is just, you know, again that stark reminder in this post-pandemic world how lonely we we do have a loneliness epidemic. A lot of us are suffering in silence. Most of right. us don't have healthy communities and we may not realize the the importance of that. And it seems to me that we are heading in the wrong direction. I don't think we've of course corrected yet. Right. So what I want to do is kind of build this blueprint for how we can either join or build a village here. But before we get there, we're talking about these communities. When you say we need community, do we need community or do we need communities? Can I have multiple communities? Do I need one? main tribe? What? What? When you say community, are we talking about plural, singular?
1: It's a great question. Again, I, I'm never about the the quantity, but there's going to be primary and secondary villages. And I, I like to categorize it this way because I, I'm a visual learner. I think other people are too. So your primary village is really kind of your ride or die people, your best friends, your family, the people you're around all the time, your wife, like you had mentioned, maybe your children, We can't forget those kids. I think parents always are thinking about outside of their family unit, and your your kids very much are part of your primary village, or at least you hope that they can be. And then there's your secondary village. And I like to concentrate on this because I don't think people give enough attention to it and, and enough value attached to it. So your secondary village could be your barista that you see every morning that gives you your caffeine fix, and you know everything about their life, and I think that's a very important relationship for certain people. But then it's also people that come into your life for a season, and that's okay too. So let's let's say perhaps in your community you find out about a family um, that just lost their, their their your your neighbor lost their spouse, uh, and during this very difficult time in their life, the community is going to come together and they're going to do a meal train. Uh, they're going to be checking on the wife. They're going to be helping with carpool. They're going to be stepping in to kind of fill in those gaps. Eventually, as the healing goes on, not as much attention perhaps is needed because that that moment of crisis has passed. And maybe all of those people aren't a part of your daily life or weekly or even monthly life anymore, but they were there again to fill in those gaps during that time. They were playing a very important role in your life, in your community, in your village during that time of need. Uh, And it was for a season, Um, but that doesn't again mean that they weren't an an important part of that community. They were a community that showed up at a time when you needed it. So that's an example of not a consistent community. But for example, then in terms of a primary uh, village that you have, maybe this is your best friend. And this is a person that is kind of a one-man band, one-woman band for you, that they're there for you in a lot of different ways that other friends can't be, even if you don't see them daily or weekly or even monthly. But they're your, they're your phone call. They're the one you go to to vent. They're the one that gets you, sees you, hears you, understands you. And that's that community of one person that you rely on for very specific things in your life. So those are two examples of communities with the plural and community as one singular person.
0: Gotcha. Yo, I I thought that was fascinating. I hadn't really prior to going through the book. I hadn't really considered a community, multiple communities, communities coming in and out of your life, right? Creating creating these, like you said, around crisis type things. I think that's fascinating. And I love the idea that primary community doesn't have to be, you know, it's not a quantity, right? right. It's not 50 people. It could just be your right or die homie, right? It's just be that one right. person, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so what about virtual communities? What is the place, because now we live in this, this social media yeah. world, what is, the, what is the role of social media and in, in community?
1: It's funny, people, I, I'll do a lot of media about uh, social media, specifically regarding children and how do you, you know, temper that with them. And I always say, you know, it's funny, we want to tell our kids not to use media so much and get off your phones, get off your tablets. But we as adults can't even take our own advice. So I am never going to be a person that condemns technology in any sort of way. And the reason why I think virtual villages are so important, and you just mentioned, you know, being an online coach, that obviously is an enormous piece of your life. And you wouldn't be able to do that without technology. And clearly, you're meeting a need. People want that. They want to be able to connect in this way. But I think also, too, technology played a huge role in helping us get through the pandemic. And people realized that virtual connection also could be powerful. It's not a replacement. For in person, it's not a replacement for that. And I, I always like to make that disclaimer because I think if you go back to being in COVID, you know, you could FaceTime with your friends, you could do that Zoom, you could do all of that. But then all of a sudden, when it was a time, it was time to give that person a hug in person again, that's a charge that you just can't get online. So again, there's a time and a place for all of this. But it, just like anything, if it works for you, then keep doing it, keep working it, enjoy, engage in that. But also know that it doesn't have to be the only way you do something. You can have different, again, like different communities. You can have different ways of connecting with people too.
0: Yeah, I'm relatively new to social media. So I started this business, I don't know, a little over three years ago. I didn't have any social media. And of course, you don't become an online coach. How is that even possible? Right? (laughs) You, You can't be an online coach. So now I have all of them. But what I found, I came in kind of kicking and screaming and dragging my feet and rolling my eyes. I didn't want to do it. And right. now I've got this, it's a love-hate relationship, to be honest with I you, but know. a big part of my community, to be honest, is an online community. It's this, I found, it just in my local community, and one of the reasons I started a podcast and, and I've targeted this kind of healthy 50, 60, 70-year-old demographic is I just didn't see it around me. There's more mm-hmm. this fatalistic, it's all downhill from here kind of attitude, and I didn't see people that were living their best lives at 60, right? So- but I, but there's a millions of us out there. And so I found these people through online communities. And so through social media, et cetera. And I think that's been a, an important part in my own community. I look at say, I've got a grown children now, but, um, I know that as, as my son, for example, was really into gaming, his community is largely, largely online. Um, he's mm-hmm. does most of his communicating. And to me, that's, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to see, I, you know, th- just the way I grew up. Right there, w- there was no such thing as that. Your community was outside and playing, but there's just, I mean, community certainly is. It's morphing, it's advancing, and technology is is what it is. And it, it'll be interesting to see where the future of that goes.
1: I mean, you know what that that gaming? I have to comment on that. Even I'm in my late 30s. I've got friends who are also still doing that gaming and it is a a place of connection. I think the issue with that, I think for parents is they worry about the social skills then if it's starting so young and There's no other outlet for them, then are they developing the social skills that they're going to need to one day go on a job interview? Right. Uh, is that translating? It's okay to do that, for that to be an outlet, for that to be your hobby or your fun. But if it's in some way impeding upon right. your growth, that's where you have to pay attention. And that's to the
0: fear, right? Those of us that have, you know, maybe adolescent or even adult children or grandkids that are. Mm-hmm very, very much their community is virtual or online. That's right. the concern. How, how will that right. translate into quote unquote real life, right? All right. Well, Florence Ann, here's where I really wanted to talk to you about. As I was going through this material, one of the things that really struck me is I've never really considered the importance of my role in a community, how mm-hmm. I show up in a community. What do I want to get and what can I offer? And I think going through your book, you, make a, you, you do a great job of pointing this out. In fact, you have a quote here. You say, learning how to foster certain characteristics in yourself that have the potential to help others is the first step to learning to let love in. So talk to us a little bit. I just want to set the stage for talking about the type of villagers and everything. How can we become valuable villagers? What are those steps that you're talking about there?
1: Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book was because I think... <laughs> And not, not because this is the way the world is today, but I think sometimes it could all be about me, 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 grabby, 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 greedy, greedy, greedy. And it's what do I need? What do I need? What do I want? How, who's paying attention to me? And we need to figure out also, too, who are we to other people? And that's also how we learn about ourselves by being who we are to other people. We learn about our skill sets. We learn about our capabilities. We learn how we show up for people. So in. In talking about specifically, how do we show up for other people? It, it It's an important exercise for answering the question about what type of village you're looking for. Looking inward, doing that work for yourself, know thyself, that is going to help you figure out what it is that's missing in your life, but then also how to lean into how you can be effective in other people's. And That's why the six archetypes were important for me to develop in terms of a visual again, because you maybe don't identify with all six, maybe three out of the six, maybe even one, but it doesn't matter. It's not a contest whether or not you're able to check all six boxes, because to different people in your life, you are going to play a different role. You may be the dependable person to someone, but the healer for someone else. and. That's normal in our friendships or our relationships that you have different friends for different reasons. You have different groups of people that you hang out with because you're gaining something from that interaction that is satiating you in some sort of way, is filling you up in some sort of way. It would be pretty boring if we had the same friends for all the same reasons i've got the friend i go to for tough love and i have the friend that i call and say hey do you want to jump on a plane with me for this weekend for a little adventure and that's that's the the spice of life that's this kind of beautiful mosaic we create for ourselves with different people that we have in our lives but going back to this idea of how do we show up for other people that really go, comes down to my life philosophy, which is really that we are supposed to live a life in service of others. And in order to find out how to do that, we need to figure out who we are, what our skills are. And by embracing who we are, embracing what we can give, that is also helping with our own personal growth.
0: Absolutely love all of that. I found this fascinating. You have these six archetypes. I'm going to dive into each one of them a little bit. and. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, it, I hadn't really given thought to community other than we lack it. (laughs) We need some, (laughs) we need some more of it. It seems like just across the board. Right. And you've obviously done a lot of thinking here about, I love the idea of service and how to be of service and how do I become a a valuable villager? Right. How do I contribute? But also, what do I need? What am I looking for? So I want to. Uh, we'll finish up maybe talking about how we might build or join a community. But before we get there, let's just talk about these different types of mm-hmm. archetypes you're talking about. I think the first one is accepting. Yes. Archetype, is that right?
1: Yeah. So accepting. I say this is the non judgmental one. This is the one you're going to go to to confide in. You're going to tell your secrets to. You think about this is the person that you would. Cast first in this village because the non judgmental one is kind of an important role. (laughs) That it, and maybe you only have one of those people, and that's okay. It only takes one, just like falling in love, right? But at the same time, it would be nice if all of your villagers had that quality of not being judgmental. But again, there's other roles for a different reason, and you're not always going to confess your secrets to every single person. It's okay. That's okay.
0: So, yes, I could see how obviously that would be an important person in your community. Mm -hmm. And maybe you are that person, right? Maybe you're the person. And understanding that, recognizing that would be important. And I'll just go ahead and put a plug for the book here that at the end of each chapter, you've got these, what are they, gut, you've got these quizzes and then gut checks, right? Which is really interesting, right? So if you're not sure as we go through these six archetypes, which one you are, which one you need, certainly go through the book and and I think you'll come out with a much clearer understanding of that. Uh, The next Archetype you have is dependable. Who's who's the dependable? I, yeah,
1: one? this is your emergency contact, and I laugh about that because I always say it's the person that's actually going to answer their phone. And everyone's like, I don't answer my phone. I don't do that. I, I actually answer my phone. I, so if I need, I can be everyone's emergency contact. Which, by the way, to all of my friends, I am because I am their emergency contact in all of their children's schools, which is hysterical to me. So I'm like, oh, no one needs something at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, but that's your emergency contact. And and it's important to find that person in your life because that's maybe not someone you talk to on a daily basis, but you know that when the cards are down, that person is going to be there and is going to be able to remedy the situation in some way.
0: Yeah. Obviously, I, I think everybody listening can understand how that also would be important in trying to think in your lives, who is that person or persons maybe for you, right? right? Next up is the cheerleader.
1: I love the cheerleader because everyone, of course, always thinks it's this rah, rah, yay, yay person. And yes, that's there. But this is also a person that shows up in a moment of transition in your life. This is your hype person. And sometimes transitions don't feel great. Sometimes they're icky. Sometimes they're hard. So this hype person in your life is not there just to be like, it's all going to be fine. Don't worry about it. They're there to actually help you through that transition by motivating you in whatever way your relationship with that person translates to motivation.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That And that makes sense. We can all think of the cheerleader as that. just that, per, the, again, that rah-rah, but I love yes. that idea of this person shows up when you need them mm-hmm. and is your guide, your inspiration, your motivation right. to help you, especially through a, a transition right. or a tough time. Next up is the communicator.
1: They have your best interest in mind. I say that they're curious and even tempered and capable, uh, and they're capable of seeing other perspectives. That is a very important one here. Not everybody falls into that category. In, in terms of a visual, think of a stove. You know, there's someone that's going to put the lid on it instead of turning the heat up necessarily on a situation in life. And I, I really, I, I don't have a favorite archetype. People always ask me that, but I, I'm, I do love the communicator because I do think that seeing other perspectives is, is definitely a skill. Not everybody necessarily has that as a reflex.
0: 100%. No, I, I think I would <laughs> agree strongly that not everybody has that, that skill. What about the next one, the organizer?
1: This is who you can delegate to. This is who gives you peace of mind in doing that, though. there's, You don't want to have someone you delegate to that you're going to be like, I don't know how I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope this works out. No, no. This is the person that you know is going to be able to get it done. I think about decluttering both your mind uh, and your home in a situation like that. And sometimes there's overlap. You'll see that maybe the communicator and the organizer have some overlap, but that's okay. But delegation in life is a very important task. Think of the person that is going to set up a meal train. We talked about that earlier. They're going to be the one to set up the meal train in your community
0: when someone's going through a crisis. Gotcha. Okay. And last one, last but certainly not least, I suspect the healer. The healer, uh, this is your
1: North Star. This is your guiding light. But there's an important caveat that I make here with the healer. They are going to be there to go through whatever it is in your life that you have going on. But they are not there to fix you or fix the situation. They are there to walk next to you through it, whatever the it is. It would be very, very unfair to ask any of these people in your life to fix you or fix something. Now, yes, maybe they're meeting a need like a meal train or being there during a crisis moment, but to think that you're ever going to ask someone in your life to be the solution That is a very scary and unfair and dangerous place to go with friendships because you are responsible for your happiness and you are responsible for your growth and your healing. These are people to help you and assist you through that, but they are never supposed to be someone who is supposed to be the one that has the obligation or the burden put on them or the expectation.
0: Okay. Okay. Are And are these our nurturers? Are these our people that are people pleasers even? Are these the people with that maternal instinct?
1: Yeah. I, I think that's a really important uh, piece of this this puzzle is is the people pleasing. I think that when you know, I'm a recovering people pleaser, as I would right. say, I think I will be for the rest of my life. We don't want to disappoint people. Right. We want to be the fixer. We want to be the nurturer. We want to do all of that. And I've had to learn, what does it mean to actually nurture? What does it mean to show up for people? What does it mean to support somebody? And I'll be very honest, when I feel like I am the one in charge of fixing the situation, when I can't fix it, then I feel that I have failed that person. I feel that I have failed myself, and I can go into a deep, dark place about that. Because then i'm I can go down that rabbit hole of see what good am I? I i I'm not a good friend, I'm not a good daughter. I'm not a good this or that because I couldn't fix it. so it's it, it can be dangerous for us to put that expectation on ourselves. So boundaries is another word that we have to use here when it comes to figuring out who you are of these archetypes and and figuring out what those boundaries look and feel like. Boundaries, people always think it's a dirty word, and it's really not. It's there to set up success for your relationships. And so I know I've laid out a few different things there in that one question, and I'm sorry about that. I kind of went off like a runaway train. But I, I feel that understanding, though, the expectations of who we are to people and and being honest about that and communicating that, that is going to be the best thing you can do to have a successful relationship in, in whatever form it is because usually the key is communication in any way, shape, or form.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I'd love, that's beautifully spoken, who we are to other people and being intentional about that. And that's one of the things that I realize having prepared for this interview, I need to work on in myself Now, I want to talk about these six archetypes. i got a couple of application questions here. So as Mm -hmm. I look through those six, we have the accepting, dependable, cheerleader, communicator, organizer, healer. I'm several of those things. I feel like I just naturally am some of those things. I feel like I suck at some of those things. (laughs) So (laughs) just being perfectly honest, is my best bet, the best bang for my villager buck, let's say, to try and shore up those areas? where i i'm not so strong or am i better to find people to fill in those holes and make them a part of my community what's i mean how do i apply that
1: right well i think these are two different things i want to go back to also you mentioned my gut checks and action steps at the end of each chapter so this book really is supposed to work kind of like a workbook no matter where you are in life no matter your age you can work these steps over and over again as you find yourself in situations where you're feeling disconnected and so let's break this into two pieces. So you as the villager. So you look at these six people and you think to yourself, okay, I probably think I'm the accepting one and the healer, and I'm probably not the others. I also want to let you in on a little secret. You may find out that you are going to be some of those other roles at some other place in your life, and you may not even know it yet. And you may actually stop being some of these roles at a certain time in your life too. And I'll give you an example. I use it in the book as well. I I went through IVF to freeze my eggs several years ago and it was a lot on my body, on my mind. And I was no good to anybody during that time. I was not showing up as probably any of the villagers, maybe one of them here and there. And I felt like I had lost myself. I felt like I was never gonna return to who I was. But I was honest with everyone just saying, like, right now, I just can't take it on. I just can't be who I normally am to you. And eventually, I did go back to being those people. But for that time in my life, I, I really had a fallout with, with my myself as a villager. And that took a lot of honesty. And it was hard to see. It was hard to accept. But as you the villager, don't feel the pressure to... Be all of these six, and if you don't have all six of these skills, just concentrate on being good at what you are good at. Because the people that you are showing up in those village as as those villagers in those villages, they're they're counting on you for those things, not the things that you're not. They already see these things in you, so lean into it and 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 give yourself credit for it. As for filling the people in in your life that you need, again, you may not need all six of these people right now. It may come a time in your life where you do, but right now you have three out of the six and you're good. You feel filled up. And then I always like to mention it. you've got New Year's coming up, you know, a New Year's resolution. I hate that term resolution too because that's like the conclusion of something. You're starting New Year's intention. Maybe instead of, you know, saying that you're know you going to lose 70 pounds and maybe you're going to do that too. And that's great too for your physical health. But maybe you're going to say, you know what, I really feel I'm being called or pulled maybe toward that dependable villager. And I'm going to lean into that this year. I'm going to really work on that and hone that skill. I think that's a great way to spend your time and your energy through a year is figuring out how to lean into something that you're being pulled to. But then also rearranging the roles, these archetypes in your life, Not all the time are you going to have cast these people correctly in your life. And it's like a movie or a play. You're casting the main characters of your life. Maybe you have people sitting in the wrong seats. Maybe you have a friendship right now that's suffering and you're like, why is this not working? Why is this person disappointing me constantly? Why is this happening? Well, maybe it's because you've cast them in the wrong role. Maybe they're not your accepting villager. Maybe they're the organizer. Maybe they're the person that you can delegate to, but they're not the person that you're supposed to be going to telling your deepest, darkest secrets to, and they're betraying you in some sort of way. So allow yourself that reflection and that evaluation, too, in your life of figuring out whether the people are sitting in the right seats. And that's also gonna help you then to realize where your low-hanging fruit is. You can do, as we're talking right now, I'm sure people listening are thinking automatically, oh, I have this person, I have that person, this person's Sandy, this person's John, whatever it is. That's what you're supposed to do. That's that instinct. So once you do that, that low-hanging fruit, then you can start to see where the gaps are and start to fill that in. That's then how this, this exercise, this kind of constant exercise in your life of doing this that's going to start making sense to you, and it's going to start helping you find a place
0: to actually do the work and where to go. Got it. Okay. I I, I love the intentionality and the we, thought you've put right. into this. Yeah, this is fascinating to me. All right, so let's just say we've got somebody listening here and they're, They've you know they're in this post-COVID world. They just haven't rebuilt their community. They've just now they're putting some intentionality into these six archetypes and realizing that they're lacking in community. Now, what are some tips that we can give this person in terms of just starting out? Are we saying, hey, go build a community, go find these mm-hmm. people? Or are we saying go join a community, find a community and and insert yourself? And by knowing what value you bring, just bringing that in and leaning into that, what's our 101 prescription for somebody for village building?
1: I think it's a combination of these things. But the first place I usually like to start when you feel like I do not know where to begin with any of this is the idea of philanthropy. So going back to this idea of living our life in service of others, philanthropy is a really great way to take a first step here. Uh, say you are new to a, a city or you're having a hard time connecting after COVID or there's been loss in your life. There's been divorce, death, whatever it is in terms of your village being lost. Think about things that are important to you, You know, whether it's volunteering at a soup kitchen or it's volunteering in a hospital or it's an old an old folks home and going and spending time with people so they have someone to talk to, think about what makes your heart flutter. As I always say, what makes your heart beat? You're most likely going to join an organization that has similar values to you. And so the people joining that organization are also going to align with you. And you're hopefully going to start conversations with people. and it's And that's going to lead to you doing some village building, some relationship building. Uh, and that's two birds with one stone. Not only are you going to be able to serve in some way that is also going to fill you up, um, but you're also going to start meeting people that um have things in common with you. And so philanthropy is a really great place to start. It also is a place that hopefully um people are coming with such open minds and hearts, and there's not as much judgment there, not as clicky, perhaps. It's it's more accepting. It's it's more warm in terms of its feeling and environment. So it's a gentle step that you can take that also is maybe not going to feel as perhaps vulnerable or as scary.
0: I absolutely love that. So philanthropy is a great first step, folks. Find something that's, like you said, that you're interested in, that excites you, that ignites your passion. Lean into that and be of service. So yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, Florence Ann, as we are kind of wrapping up here, I know you've got the new book out. What are you excited about in the future? What What do you got on the horizon here for you?
1: Oh, gosh, I, I'm excited to think about maybe the the next book I want to write that maybe is an, a, an expansion of this, perhaps. But right now, what really is exciting to me is the idea of coaching, similar to you, being a place people can go where they can feel seen, heard, and understood. I think that's what we want in life more than anything. And especially as we deal with loneliness, especially as we deal uh, with the mental health crisis in this world, I still want to have a hand in both the child side of it and the adult side of it. Two things that are very important to me in my life, uh, Lori Children's Hospital here in Chicago. I serve on the board there and I also serve on the leadership council of Sesame Street. So I feel like uh, pediatrics and children and and Science and health, all of that uh, is very important to me. So I hope to continue to apply this curriculum in a lot of different ways to help people feel uh, stronger, to connect and hopefully start to to find a solution to these epidemics that we have in our country that are, are very damaging and uh, hopefully can find light uh, for people and find a strategy.
0: Fantastic. I love all of that. Clearly, you are shining that light there. So hats off to you for the work you're doing. How can people connect with you? How can they learn more? Where do you want to send them?
1: We were talking about social media. I am all over social media Good. as well. I, I like yeah. Hi, <laughs> So Florence Ann Romano, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook. I answer every DM, so do not hesitate to reach out to me. And Florenceanne.com. there's a lot of blogs there, a lot of inf- interesting, hopefully, information to you and resources. And my book is sold anywhere uh, you can find books. So here, Amazon I can get it to you maybe even the same day.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, I'll put all of Florence Ann's information in the show notes. You guys can find that there. That book, again, is called Build Your Village, a guide to finding joy and community in every stage of life. Florence Ann, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your wisdom, your love, and your passion with us. I love the work you're doing and just encourage you to keep up the great work.
1: Thank you. Same to you. Thank you for the light you give this world. It's been an honor to connect. Thank you.
0: Okay. That's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes. You folks can find those over at silveredgefitness.com slash 252. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to please give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today, and until next time, stay strong.